Looking now to uh, the word of the Lord this morning, if you want to look on with me at Philippians 4, we'll read verses 4 to 9 this morning. God's word says this, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, hear this, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Let us bow our heads in prayer. Father, we do love you. We thank you for your grace and your mercy. Lord, we thank you for uh, the finished work of Jesus, his perfect life, death, and resurrection. God, I thank you for a church family that we can gather together uh, around the word. Uh, God, the word is enough for us uh, to read and to study, to learn, uh, to be edified, to be stirred up towards uh, good works, to embrace the word of God, uh, to embrace the truth that we have in Jesus. Um, Lord, we thank you for this beautiful day that you've, you've given to us to fellowship together, to worship together. And God, we thank you for the beauty of your word and, and the good advice of scripture that we see present in this passage here today. God, may it stir us up uh, toward good works uh, as we leave this place to be on mission for you. We pray these things in the precious and powerful name of Jesus. All of God's people said, amen. On, on nearly every occasion, when thinking back into high school, Nearly every occasion when I would go out on the weekends, you know, Friday night, go out with my football buddies, Saturday night, go hang out with my friends. Uh, I remember almost every single time my dad going to me, walking up to me as I was getting ready to leave, and he'd put his hand on my shoulder, and he'd look at me, and actually he'd look at me because I was always taller than my dad, so he'd look like this, and he'd look me in the eye, and he'd, he'd go, no drinking, no smoking, no drugs, and that was it. I was like, okay, dad right? Good advice, isn't it? For a high schooler heading out. No drinking, no smoking, no drugs. My dad had good advice in that way. And I remember a time also my dad, he loaded up my brother and I, uh, my oldest brother had, had moved out. He actually was in college. He was at, at UCLA in college. My middle brother and I, uh, my dad drove us down to downtown Los Angeles to a, a nice little neighborhood called Skid Row. Have you guys ever heard of Skid Row before? And, and Skid Row in, in Downtown Los Angeles is the, the largest, the, the, the neighborhood with the largest condensed population of homeless people in the whole United States. At least it was at that time. I don't know about now, but um, there was a lot of homeless people. And I can remember my dad driving us down uh, into this neighborhood, driving us down the, the, the road. I witnessed as, as a young man, I can't remember, maybe 10, 11, 12 years old, I witnessed in, in that neighborhood drunkards, drug users, and prostitutes just parading around openly out in the streets. It was like a war zone down there. Uh, my dad, even uh, in, in his advice towards us, he just kind of rolled down the windows and let the full sensory experience kind of, we got to hear the sounds and smell the smells and all of that. And then as we got to the end of that block and turned back towards safety, I was terrified out of my mind. My dad simply told us, you have choices in life, and you can end up like this if you make bad ones. 
That was all he said. Rolled up the windows, turned on the music, and then we drove away. I'll never, I'll never forget that. I'll never forget that time when he, when he did that. My dad was trying to do this. He was trying to foolproof my life. What do I mean by that? It's the name of our, our sermon this morning. To foolproof. When something's uh, waterproof, what is it? It's, it's resistant to water, right? And I believe this passage that we're engaging with this morning is advice from Paul to the church, scriptures to the church, on foolproofing our life to help us to not be what? Foolish. To help us to, to not be foolish. Uh, my father knew his God-given role was to, to raise up sons who could support themselves, support a family, work hard. I learned all these things from my dad and to honor the Lord, most importantly, to honor the Lord with my life. I'm thankful for that. And although I'm, I'm, I'm not perfect, I know that. I'm far from it. I'm thankful that, that more often than not, I heeded the advice of my father. I, I took it in. The spiritual father of the Philippian church, which is Paul, is doing something similar here. He, he's reminding the Philippians to whom they belong, the, the implication of connecting to God through Jesus and the reality that we must choose, hear this, that we must choose to take good advice in our lives. This is our main idea, is to, to foolproof your life through connecting with God and applying good advice. To foolproof your life through connecting with God and applying good advice. The, the major theme of Philippians, if we had to boil it down to just a few things, is that of encouragement and, and the constant reminding of this church's connection to God through Jesus and the intrinsic joy, right? Paul keeps saying over and over again, rejoice in the Lord. The intrinsic joy, this connection, this connection to God that we have brings to our lives. And we're going to read uh, snippets from a few different verses throughout this passage. Four, five, and nine says this, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Why should we rejoice? Paul tells us because the Lord is at hand. The Lord is near to us. And then he says this, practice these things, right? Here's the application. Practice these things, and, and what is really the connection to that? And the God of peace will be what? With you, right? We see connecting with God and really taking in, realizing, applying good advice in our lives. And this passage is absolutely filled with Paul's good advice to the church, Jesus gives us a similar list of good advice if we were to look to Matthew chapter 7. He highlights in that passage examining ourselves before we judge others, treating others as we want to be treated, praying to the Lord, and recognizing the fruit of a person. And then he points out the importance of connecting to him and heading, um, heeding the, the wisdom of Scripture. He says this in uh, Matthew seven twenty four to 27. He says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it was founded what? On the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And, and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house. And what happened? And it fell and great was the fall of it. A few years ago, back in 2020, 
had the, the blessing of being able to get a camping spot in, in the Outer Banks in North Carolina. If you don't know what the Outer Banks is, it's a, like a barrier island along the coast of, of North Carolina. It was 2020. Everybody was canceling out their reservations at a KOA campground out there. And so my, my wife saw it, snatched up a camping spot out there uh, in the Outer Banks. We made the 14-hour drive out to North Carolina and enjoyed a vacation uh, out there. And if, if you've ever been or maybe seen pictures, uh, the houses in that area are built on these tall stilts, okay, probably 10 feet high. And they're all built kind of on the sand on, on the shoreline of the Outer Banks. The reason why they're built on stilts is because that area just gets absolutely hammered with uh, poor weather throughout the year. Usually hurricanes come through there, so the whole island will flood out. Well, after we left there, I, I liked the, the Facebook page of the National Park Service in, in Hatteras, which is one of the names of the areas that we were staying in out there. And I've been following along. If any of you have paid attention to the news, you'll know this. The, some of these houses are built on stilts. The, the, the sea is kind of encroaching further and further and further inland on this barrier island. And now it's approaching these wooden houses built on what? On the stilts in the sand. And what's happening to them? Right? They're falling. And everybody feels bad for them, but it's like, dude, who would build their house right there? Like, it's, it's neat, but... You know, it's not going to last very long. It's not wise, right? It's foolish. A wise person is one who puts into action the living words of Jesus. Right? Their house is built on the firm foundation, the rock that is Christ's finished work. And it's established upon this, upon the keeping of his word. That's what Paul's really getting at in this passage. It's just good advice. The fool, on the other, on the other hand, he's the one that hears but does not do. He hears what he's supposed to do, but he just does not apply it to his life. He, he refuses to apply the Word of God. And this morning, we're going to look at five pieces of good advice that will foolproof your life. Five pieces of good advice that will foolproof your life. Number one, be gentle. Okay, be gentle people. That's good advice. I need to listen to that advice more often than not in my life because sometimes I'm not a gentle person. I can, I can have an intensity with my words. Be gentle. The Lord desires for his people to be reasonable and gentle. Let's read verse 5. It says this, let your reasonableness, okay? I'm going to pause there because in, in a few situations, I love the English Standard Version, but sometimes the translation just doesn't fit well. And this is an instance where the word should be gentleness, Reasonableness is not used in, the, in this uh, translation anywhere else, I don't think, in Scripture. It's gentleness everywhere else. But for some reason, the translation committee of the ESV chose to go with reasonableness, and they were wrong. So, a better translation here is gentleness or kindness, or we could even say tolerance, but not in the way we understand tolerance now, kind of the old school tolerance. I'm not going to get into that this morning. Let your, let your reasonableness or gentle, gentleness be known to who? Everyone. Every single person. Why? Paul says, the Lord is at hand. This is why. Because God is near. The drive of Paul's instruction or advice here is coming off his instruction on unity. I want you to remember back to last week's passage. 
Paul has just instructed the church on unity and staying connected together. He actually calls out two ladies in the church. He says this, I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord, right? To come back together. That's in Philippians 4.2. Leading now into this text, the next passage of Scripture, is kind of the, the next set of advice and instruction. And Paul's mind is still aimed at instructing the church around togetherness or unity, And the train of thought fits well with the word used here for gentleness or kindness. In other words, we could say it this way. Do you give other people, we use this term, do you give them the benefit of the doubt? Do you give them the benefit of the doubt or do you you pin on them the worst motives that you could possibly imagine? Like, I'm sure they were thinking this when they did this to me. Or do you give folks the benefit of the doubt? I think we could be helped as a church body if we would give each other the benefit of the doubt at times. The Greek philosopher Aristotle explained gentleness as this, as the willingness to forego one's rights according to the law. I believe this is the intent of Paul's advice here. And I think Jesus actually is a great example as he's nearing the end of his life. There's an example of this in Jesus in the upper room when he's with his disciples for uh, the Last Supper. And everybody's gathering in this room and something, a practice needs to happen. Do we know what that is? Someone needs to wash feet. Okay, someone needs to clean up. They need to be purified. They need to be cleansed. And, and at any moment in Jesus' ministry, this could be the one where he had every right to look around the room and say, hey guys, someone's got to wash feet and I ain't doing it, right? (laughs) But what did he do? He quietly gets up, puts on the apron, calls for the cleansing bowl, the basin, gets on his knees and washes the disgusting, dirty feet of his followers. Did he not forego his rights there to serve? What a beautiful example for us, a beautiful example of of gentleness and and service to others. And and why should we be gentle and kind and reasonable? Paul says here, because the Lord is at hand. The Lord is near. And I think Paul has in mind here a a dual meaning, okay? We we preach on this often. First, the the first part of this could be this, that, that he, that is God, is at hand within you. He's near to you in the person and work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has filled each and every follower of Jesus, those who have placed their trust, their faith, their confidence in the finished work of Christ. And also, I think the other intent of Paul's statement here is in his lifetime and in our lifetime, we should have the same expectation that the Lord is at hand, that Jesus is coming back. And we could say this soon. Okay, we call this the imminent return of Christ. We are waiting expectantly for Jesus to return. Paul did. And now it's 2,000 years later. We should, I would say, all the more be conducting our lives in, in eager expectation that Jesus is coming back soon. So I should be gentle with people, right? I should be reasonable. I should be kind. We should live in in expectation of the return of Jesus. He is at hand, right? Be reasonable, be kind, be gentle. Afford the benefit of the doubt toward one another because we are connected to God through His indwelling Spirit and we expect Him to return soon. Number two, here's the second piece of advice. This is great advice. Be prayerful. Be prayerful. 
I'm, I'm thankful to the Lord to be a part of a praying church. I'm thankful to the Lord to be a part of a praying church. I know. Aren't all churches praying churches? Yeah. But, but I can tell you this. I've, I've been significantly involved in, in three different local churches. This is the third. I have a church that my wife and I, we grew up in and we served as, as youth ministers. The last church I was at, we were members of, and then I moved into pastoral ministry in that church. And then the Lord called me to, to be the lead pastor of this church. So three different churches. And I, can, I love all three of these churches, but I can tell you this, there's, there's something different about the level of prayer at North Bullet Christian Church. And I praise God for it. Because I know when I ask my church to pray for me, that they're praying for me. They're not just saying, I'm going to pray for that, and then, ah, they forget about it. That people are on their knees, in their prayer closets, bringing it to the Lord. This is a praying church. Paul instructs in this way, in the second half of verse 6, but in everything, okay, by prayer and supplication. Let me say it again in case you didn't, in case you missed that. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Man, it doesn't, like, it's not any more clear than that, right? I love this passage because it's just very clear. We don't need to pretty up the message this morning. We don't need to wrap it in a box for you. It's just there. It's just good advice. It's Paul's good advice to the church. In everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Don't hold anything back from him. Here's the thing. He already knows it. Bring it to him. So many of our decisions and burdens we bear are not brought before the Lord in prayer. God our Father, I want you to hear this truth this morning. God our Father desires to hear from His children. Did you hear that? God wants to hear from His kids. And we come to the Lord with thanksgiving. Why? That we get to talk with God? This is where an understanding of how great God is, that this is a mind-blowing concept. The, the God who spoke everything into existence from nothing, from his words, wants to hear from me? Why would I keep anything from him? We should be thankful for that. That we can't, and we get to bring it to God through his son, Jesus. Romans 8 tells us two incredible truths that he is indeed interceding on our behalf right now in this moment. And it gives us this truth. When you're sitting there and you're like, man, God, I just got all this stuff going on and I don't know what to say and I'm grieved and I'm not sure what to do about this, this issue or situation I'm in. And then you just are like, I don't get it, God. Did you know this truth from Romans 8? That the Spirit is taking all those groans, like, a, oh, God, I don't know what I'm going to do in this. He's taking those up to heaven for you as prayers. Isn't that amazing? We have that kind of access to God. I, I just, a quote just came to mind. This isn't even in my notes. I've shared this often. Uh, I want to say it, it's Tim Keller. He, he says, who, who dare wake a king at 3 a.m. in the morning for a glass of water but his child? We have that kind of access to the Father. Absolutely. You have that. And even when we don't know what to say, God's Holy Spirit speaks on our behalf. Why? This gets back to connection, because we are connected to God. 
through his son Jesus and the filling of his spirit. Jesus says it this way in Matthew 7 again, verses 7 to 11. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and the one who knocks it will be open. Or which one of you, look at this illustration. This is a beautiful illustration. Which one of you, if, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? Can you imagine? I'm hungry, dad. Okay, here's a snake. No one's going to do that. If you then who are evil or, or in our sins know how to give good gifts to your children, right? We still know how to love our kids even though we are fallen and in our flesh. How much more will God in his perfection and holiness and righteousness, our Father who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? This is Jesus, our Lord and Savior, who says this. Our heavenly Father desires to bless richly according to his will and plan. And the word of, uh, words of James, his letter, they echo in my mind. Like, we have not because we ask not. Take everything, everything, everything to the Lord in prayer. And I know some of you are sitting here like, man, it just feels like I keep praying the pr- same prayer and it feels like God's not listening. I have no, nothing else to say other than he is. He hears you. Pray in accordance with His will. God honors persistence in prayer too. Pray your heart. Let Him know your deepest feelings and desires. Like He's got thick enough skin. He can handle it, okay? Just pray. The, The old hymn lyric resonates here. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything. Did you hear that? Everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Remember that line. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. It brings us to our third piece of advice. Be peaceful. Man, I love this next verse. I've I've prayed this section of Scripture, this verse For others and myself, I can honestly say this, more than any other piece of Scripture, I've prayed this. And in our our society, anxiety reigns in the hearts and minds of many of us, even more so, unfortunately, than than the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, Jesus. Nearly 20%, if you look at statistics, nearly 20% of Americans, that's 40 million people, deal with anxiety disorder, and nearly 10% of our children struggle with anxiety. Even those who are not diagnosed with anxiety disorder can deal with debilitating bouts of anxiety uh, dependent on their situation that they're going through. And yet God's word instructs and advises what? Do not be anxious about anything. And Paul prayed, this is the prayer right here. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. In Jesus, we have peace that passes all understanding. God promises this, a peace that surpasses all understanding through our, here it is again, our connecting to him. We have it through Christ Jesus Paul says here, the the Lord Jesus Christ will guard our hearts and our minds. But how do we we put this into practice? A a few things here. 
Number one, just personally in our own lives, we have to remember the words and promises of the scriptures. We have to commit them to memory. And then in times of anxiety and distress and hurt and pain, we recall those back in. We have to commit them to memory though. And you know what happens? Actually, this is what happens. God's Holy Spirit, if we commit them to memory, then God's Holy Spirit all of a sudden brings those forth and helps us to recall what those things are so that we know them. And you know who's talking to you in that moment? God. God's talking to you. Remember the words and promises of Scripture. Here's the other thing we can do. So that's something we can do personally. The other thing we can do is we can, we can share our worry and anxiety with brothers and sisters in Christ so then that they also can speak back to us God's words. We share our, our, our worry and our pain and our hurt so that we can draw on the peace that surpasses all understanding because we have brothers and sisters bearing our burdens with us. They can pray with you. They can comfort you. Here's another thing. They can give you advice. They can, they can give you instruction. They can tell you different decisions that you can make to, that, that will affect your life and hopefully help you. That brings us to our, our third point under this. How do, we, how do we seek a peace that passes understanding? How do we deal with anxious feelings and anxiety? Seek counseling. Sometimes you just need to go talk to a professional counselor about the issue that you're having, and it's okay. I want to offer this to you. If, you. if you flip over your bulletin on the backside of your bulletin, we have an incredible resource called Abounding Love. Our church will even help pay for counseling for you. If you're struggling with things, you need something just beyond, well, I memorized the scriptures, I'm praying, I've sought advice, I think I need just something a little bit more. Go get some counseling, go get some help. It's okay. Make the phone call. Give you, give you help to overcome anxiety, to deal with it. And number four, sometimes it's just a matter of like, you just got to stop doing some of the things that you're doing. You got to stop making bad financial decisions. You got to stop making bad relational decisions. You got to stop taking sinful actions in your life that are causing consequences that then make you lay there in bed at night distressed and and anxious. It's not all because of that, but sometimes really that's the root cause. Like, I just need to stop doing this stuff. And, and seek counsel in there, those areas also. Jesus encourages us this way. He says in Matthew 6, 34, Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Right? Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Like, you got enough junk to deal with today. Just worry about that. Lastly, I'd, I'd say this. Listen to the worry that has invaded your heart and mind. Through your worry, may the, the Spirit may be prompting you giving an uneasiness in your soul so that you will respond in reliance, or we would call that humility on him to bring it to him in prayer. God, I can't just, I just can't shake, shake this anxious, this anxiety or this, this worry. God, can you help me? Can you give me wisdom in this area? I believe he will give that to you. Take your worry to the Lord in prayer. And next, we, we focus our minds on things that are worthy of praise. Our, God, our Heavenly Father, is worthy of praise. The, the fourth piece of advice, be focused. We are a distracted people, amen? Distracted. On our phones, scrolling. Like I, I 
I admit, I got like five things going on all at the same time, and I'm not focused on any of them. Too many different things. You got to be focused. As anxiety and worry creep in, right, focus drifts. Paul reminds the church here to focus on the right things, right? Get your mind and your heart right. This is a, this is a cool list, I think, in verse 8. He says, finally, brothers, listen, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, what does he say? It's just so clear, right? Think about these things. Would you focus on these things and not focus on what you don't have? Think about the good blessings the Lord has given you in your life. I believe this is where talking through uh, with, with mature believers in Jesus is helpful. Okay, if your friend just piles on top of your worry and anxiety and fear, they're not a good friend. I hate to break it to you. Sometimes you need someone to say, hey, I know you're worried about all this stuff over here, but look at how the Lord's blessed you in this area. Just one thing. Focus on that one thing. But if they're sitting there and saying, oh yeah, you should be mad. You should be worried about that. Is that a good friend? Focus. Talk through your, your anxiety, your worry, and your problems with, with mature believers in Jesus. They can point out the many ways that the Lord has blessed you. Which brings about these questions. We've got to wrestle with these. Where is your mind focused right now? Is it on every problem or issue? Is it on what you don't have? Is it thinking about like social media again has invaded our, our society and it, it paints this picture. If we scroll through like, hey man, everybody's life is perfect and happy and they have everything they want and they eat good food all the time and no one's ever sad in their family and my life stinks. I hate to break it to you, but their life stinks too. They're just putting on a good face out there. Okay, don't let that rule your life. Don't let it bring in anxiety and worry. Stop focusing on what everybody else has and what you don't have. You need to focus on the things that matter. The things that bring you pray, to, to praise the Lord your God. Paul says it this way in Colossians 3, 2-5. to He says, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Why? Because you've died. Paul's saying you've died to the flesh. That's what we see. This morning it's going to be beautiful. We're going to see a man baptized, publicly professing his love for Jesus. And what it is is a, a picture of him dying to his old ways and being raised to new life in Jesus. It says here, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Paul here is talking again about the, the second coming of Jesus. And so Paul says this, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly or fleshly or sinful in you. And then he's going to give us some examples. These are things that cause anxiety. He says sexual immorality. You want to know the number one cause of worry and anxiety in our society, I would say. It's sexually related sin. It's sex outside of marriage. It's addiction to pornography. All the things that come with that. Devastating our culture and our society. Paul says, put that to death. 
Sex is a beautiful gift from God if put into the right context between one man and one woman in the marriage. Paul says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, listen to this, and covetousness, which is, Paul says, idolatry, right? False worship. Here's the truth. We all worship something. You can sit in here, if, if you don't believe in God, you say, I don't worship anything. Yeah, you do. You worship yourself. We will all worship, we all worship something. Are you going to worship the God in the heavens who sent his son in love to save you? Or are you going to continue in a life of idolatry? Because what's happening here is that we are battling spiritually every moment of our lives to set our minds on heavenly things. Man, there are so many distractions that want to pull me away from from focusing on Jesus. And we're called to, to set our minds on things that are above, not on things on earth. To hold fast to to God as he holds us close to him. And here's the thing. The enemy knows this internal struggle that we have. I I don't want to leave it vague here. Satan knows. And here's the the truth of his war. Did you know that, that Satan doesn't need you committed to his team? He doesn't need you wearing his jersey. He just needs to distract you from God's team. And he's good at it, isn't he? He accomplishes this when he peels your focus away from the Lord into the the helpless and hopeless realm of this, simply put, of worry and distraction. Be focused. Number five, the last piece of advice is to take the advice, right? Be practical. Man, I know, thinking back to when I was growing up, there were so many pieces of instruction that my mom told me about that I just totally disregarded. And the thing was, is that my mom was always right. And then when I'd mess up, she'd come back at me and she'd look at me and she'd be like, what? I told you so. I told you that was going to happen. I know. Take the advice. I think many people continue with worry anxiety, and poor decisions because they just do not practically apply sound biblical advice and wisdom from where? From godly counsel. Some of us just need to listen and take the advice. So Paul says in verse 9, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And what will happen? And the God of peace will be with you. Practice these things. What's he saying? Take my advice. Listen to me. Be practical in your study and application of Scripture. Ask the question as you read a passage, how does this apply to me? And then guess what? Apply it. Lean on godly, mature Christians and leaders. The Lord has blessed us not only with a praying congregation, but he's blessed us with elders and deacons and godly women who have great, who give 
great advice. I'm going to name a few. We have the Rons, okay? Because one wasn't good enough. We have two Rons. <laughs> we have a Ron Flora. We have a Ron Bradshaw. These gentlemen give good advice. We have a guy named Daryl DeVore. That guy gives good advice. We have a godly woman named Patty Bradshaw. She gives good advice. Another one named Pam Ledford. She gives great advice. Nicole Davenport gives good advice. And many, many, many others. Don't be mad at me if I didn't say your name. <laughs> seek wise counsel. Seek advice. And then here, take it. Right? Take that advice. Apply it in your life. I, I can't say much more than this. Paul's clear on his own. Like, I don't need to dissect the Greek words here. He's just saying, put it into practice. Listen. And yet, the, the fool, okay, the fool is the person that hears the, that's what a fool is. They hear what they're supposed to do, and then they don't apply it, right? And yet the fool rages against who? Right? It's not my fault. It's God's fault. It's your fault. It's my boss. The market crashed. This and this and this and this and this. The fool rages against the Lord. When in reality, many around them have, have given good and godly advice. Proverbs 19.3. When a man's folly brings his way to ruin, what does he do? His heart rages against the Lord. God, it's your fault. The reality is this. You have a choice to make. Are you going to let the Lord Jesus change and transform you? That's the choice. These words have resonated with me, again, from, from a godly woman in our church, Patty Bradshaw. Jesus is able to fix the issue. Will you let him? Right? He can do it. But sometimes we're our own worst enemy. We get in our way, don't we? Get out of the way and let Jesus do the work. And it's hard because sometimes you got, not sometimes, every time you got to hold up the mirror to yourself and say, what am I doing here? Because oftentimes the problem is us. Or are we going to continue to kick back against him and rebel? Here's the truth. God wants to change you. You need only let him. And I believe there's, there's two levels of, of change in this room. There are people that, are, man, they're just seeking the Lord. They're taking good advice. Yeah, we have struggled with sin, but walking in, the, in wise counsel, they're reading their scriptures, they're praying, they're surrounded in godly community. Awesome. They're growing in Christ-likeness. Amen. Praise the Lord. There, there's other folks who, who know and trust Jesus as their Savior, but now they're, they're entering in the realm of the hard work of what we call sanctification, right? Growth in Christ's likeness. That's tough. They're having their, their spirit, their mind, their body renewed by the power of God's Spirit. Let Jesus change you. There's another group of people. There's those who continue to rebel against God by trusting in their own power, work, and their own supposed goodness. Both positions, I would say, if you, if you know Jesus, but you continue to just kind of push back, you're, it's just a constant fight in a wrestling match. Or those who, who hear over and over and over and over again, and I, I mean, I hate to say it this way, but this is the way God's Word says, you're being foolish, You're being foolish. You need to be reminded of what our Lord Jesus has done for us 
in his life, death, and resurrection. I think Paul reminds us of that in 1 Corinthians 1, 26 to 31. He says this, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. I want to pause there. Paul's not trying to put down the church. He's not trying to put down the, the people in the church. What he's saying is like, hey, anybody in here raise your, is anybody related to the president of the United States? Probably not the current one. You don't want to be related to him. <clears throat> or the last one, or man, any of them. I'm sorry. Okay. Is anybody in the royal family? Let's try it that way. No. We're just normal folks gathering together to worship in Bullock County, aren't we? We're just a bunch of normal people. I think that's what Paul's getting at. Hey, consider your calling. You're just a normal, bunch of normal people gathering together. He says, but God chose what is, is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. What, what Paul's getting at here is, is it's all a work of God. He says this, and because of him, you are in Christ Jesus. Because of him, you are in Christ Jesus. Who did what? Jesus became to us wisdom from God. What is wisdom? It's the application of God's word in life. Here's what Jesus did. He did it perfectly. He says righteousness. This is what we have in Jesus. This is the gospel. We have righteousness and sanctification. And here it is, redemption. So that as it is written, Jesus is God in the flesh, so then we only can boast in the Lord, right? Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. It ties in well to uh, Paul's section on humility. We don't get to take any of the credit. God gets all of it. In our salvation, God gets all the credit. In our lives, anything good that happens to us, God gets all the credit. Paul, in all his practical advice and instruction, boils it down to the, to the most essential ingredient, the most essential advice that we can take hold of. He gives us the gospel. Christian, non-Christian, we both need it. For the Christian, we need it because it, it cleanses us and sanctifies us. It reminds us of the beautiful love of God. It reminds us that God has reached down to us and has pulled us out of the muck and the mire. For non-Christians, you need to hear it because you need to place your faith, trust, and confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ today. This is what Jesus has done for us. This is the gospel that we are wandering in rebellion and sin against, that's our kind of default setting in life. We reject God. We think we got it all together, everything's fine, I'm good, I don't need God. But the life of Jesus reminds us that we do. Because God had to come in the person and work of Jesus Christ to live perfectly for us. In our, our sins and imperfection, we, we don't dare stand in the presence of God. 
Only through Jesus' righteousness can we stand in the presence of God. Jesus gives that to us as a free gift as he lived out the full letter of the law as revealed in Scripture. Jesus did it when he lived out the will of God by willingly going to the cross and giving up his life. The Romans didn't take it. The Jews didn't take it. Jesus gave it up of his own will. Stripped bare, nailed to a cross. He shed his blood as an atoning blood. What does that mean? A sin cleansing blood. Jesus went into the grave dead. There was a big old heavy stone rolled over the front of it. On the third day, by the power of God's Spirit, Jesus was raised from the dead. The stone was rolled away. He walked out. Jesus is alive. What does that mean? He has victory over sin and death, and he gives us new life through faith in his work. All of our sins washed away. We are clothed, the robe of Jesus' righteousness wrapped around us. Hear this, so that when God our Father looks at us, he says, you're my cherished son, you're my cherished daughter. And the most wise decision that you can make in your life is to give your life freely to God. Confess Jesus as Lord and Savior. The question is this, will you let the Lord Jesus transform your life? Amen.